Support for WABE comes from the Community Foundation for Greater Atlanta. You can go beyond giving to impact. Learn more at cfgreateratlanta.org. At a time when information continues to come at us faster and faster, sometimes you need to hit pause and rewind. NPR's Throughline takes you back in time to the source of the news stories filling your feed. Find NPR's Throughline wherever you get your podcasts. Sunny skies, welcome to this Friday edition of Closer Look. I'm Rose Scott. Coming up in just a moment, we'll hear local reaction regarding the U.S. Supreme Court's 5-4 decision that the Trump administration cannot, for now, in the Deferred Action for Childhood Arrivals Program, or DACA. That program currently protects more than 600,000, they call them dreamers, brought to the U.S. as children from deportation. Definitely pleased that it went to the side of of allowing us to continue to push for a, a more permanent solution. And it gives me some hope that when we are at least dealing with the legal technicalities of the problems that this administration has caused, that we still have a Supreme Court that will be receptive to those um, those arguments. Those conversations coming up in just a moment. But first, we'll turn to local immigration attorney and founder of the firm Owens McNorland Immigration Law Firm, Sarah Owens, for her analysis of what this really means and what's to come. Sarah, thanks for taking the time. I really appreciate it. Absolutely. Happy to be here. There was a lot made that while the expectation was it'd be a 5-4 decision, but a 5-4 decision with Justice Roberts and based on his opinion, what'd you make of that? Um, I think the right decision was reached here, and I think it's important to understand uh, the limits of this decision, what it really means. We can we can break that down and kind of go through everything, but um, it, it's it was surprising because we all expected DACA to go away, but at the same time, this decision does make a lot of sense, the way that it was handled. And it gave us some good things and some bad things, so about it. Well, let's talk about the good things from your viewpoint. So really, there were two main questions in this decision. The first was about whether the Department of Homeland Security's decision to wind down DACA was judicially reviewable, whether or not the Supreme Court even had the power to review it. And then second, whether the decision to wind down DACA was lawful. So that first question came down on our side and they said, yes, absolutely. This decision is judicially reviewable by the Supreme Court. And that was kind of an open question because immigration laws uh, complicated. There's a lot of regulations and statutes involved. And uh, there's some statutes that strip jurisdiction, sorry, uh, regulations that strip jurisdiction from the uh, the court system to review. And so it's a question. Uh, and what the, the government petitioners were arguing in this case is that the uh, question of legality that there's basically a, a no um, a sub, no judicial review here um, mm-hmm. of power because the administration's discretionary enforcement power uh, was really in play and that that was the main thing. And they compared it to the power of prosecutors' discretion to enforce or not enforce certain policies such as the death penalty. That was what the prosecution wanted, mm-hmm. but the, um, you know, the, the petitioners wanted, but ultimately the, uh, the court held that's incorrect and that because this doesn't depend directly on the decision to remove somebody from the United States, that the court system does maintain jurisdiction. And that's great for all kinds of other decisions that could be um, in, the, in the immigration context uh, before the courts. The 
other thing mm -hmm. that came up was the court, whether or not the decision is lawful mm -hmm. and whether or not the president had the right to just terminate this program the way that they did. And basically on the merits, they said the agency has to defend its actions based on the reasons it gave when it acted and that DHS failed to consider the reliance interests that the petitioners here had, that the, um, the original petitioners had, such as the broader renewal period for DACA recipients or things like a more accommodating termination date. Because remember, it happened in 2017 real quick. It was announced mm -hmm. September 5th, and then it was like we had a month, basically. They gave us a really fast timeline originally to try and wind this down. So it's it's been a fight and a lot of uncertainty for a lot of people, and this does protect them from that really rash, hasty decision. Um, the court said that DHS while they're not required to consider all the policy alternatives, they are required to assess if there are reliance interests for the, the individuals that over 700,000 people in this country that have DACA and whether or not uh, when those reliance interests are significant enough uh, that they outweigh the competing policy interests that the administration has. So the legal victory here is due to a procedural Era on the Trump administration's part. In sense, is that what you're saying? In essence, that's what I'm saying. Basically, they very hastily made this decision. They 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 brought a machete to a scalpel fight. You know, they kind of broadly terminated this program very quickly, and instead of um, taking all of the the typical notice and comment processes that you have to have under the Administrative Procedures Act, they very quickly terminated it without considering those things. And the court said, you can't do that. You do have to follow the law. And speaking of law, let's get some clarity here, Sarah, because you hear a lot of people saying, well, the DACA program under President Obama was unlawful to begin with, but that wasn't what you, the high court was asked to determine this go round. That's correct. They so that distinction should open, be made. That is correct. That is still an open question. Um, when that program was created, it did go through all of the regular policies and procedures you need to create it, um, whether it was overstepping and a question of, uh, you know, the president using his executive authority to do something that really should be on Congress. That is an open question. And what that means for us for timing is really interesting because now we have an election coming up. And, you know, do they really want to address this right now? That's what remains to be seen. Well, and I also want to get your thoughts on something that Justice Clarence Thomas wrote uh, in the dissent saying, quote, Today's decision must be recognized for what it is, an effort to avoid a politically controversial but legally correct decision. The court could have made clear that the solution respondents seek must come from the legislative branch. In doing so, it has given the green light for future political battles to be fought in this court rather than where they rightfully belong, the political branches. Right. But, you know, if it's a baseball game and you hit a home run and you don't touch second base, that's still a problem. That run doesn't count. And so this is a situation where they essentially did not follow the law. And we do have to get through that first. And while the timing is unfortunate for purposes of people that want to avoid those political battles, um, in other in other cases and other things, I think this is really a time where we should be pushing if you are uh, in favor of protecting dreamers and protecting DACA uh, uh, students, the youth in this country that have grown up here. I mean, I'm, I'm in my late 30s. People are my age by now. They've been mm -hmm. in the workforce for many, many years. Um, then this is a time when you should be calling your congressman. This is the time when you should be uh, supporting candidates that will do something, because this is ultimately something that Congress could fix with legislation. 
And a lot of folks have said that, and that leads me to my next question, because everyone on the show today is getting this question, and that is why Congress, why this nation has not been able to come up with a comprehensive immigration reform plan or policy. Your viewpoint on all of that? I think that you have a lot of competing interests and you have a um, a group of, of individuals who are most affected. You have immigrants to this country who may be in you know, lawful status, seeking other status or, or are undocumented, uh, who have very little political voice. One of the really impressive things through this has been United We Dream, has been the movement of the DACA um, recipients to empower themselves to speak out, to address Congress, to address um, uh, the, the, the petitioners in this case and explain all of the reasons why they need these protections. So it, having a lack of political power um, for immigration, for immigrants, it, it's typically a, a problematic issue when you're trying to bring those concerns forward. And in the case of DACA, we had a little more leeway there. We were able to show things because people weren't in the shadows. And Sarah, also for some clarity, because not only from when DACA was first introduced, but with all the back and forth and the legal fights, there was a, a specific group that was sort of caught in limbo here. So let's talk about status for a moment. Yeah, the program had been terminated by um, the the administration, the Trump administration back in 2017. And because of this ongoing litigation, you know, we had several different lawsuits that were cooking through the process of this, that um, ability to apply and reapply for people who already had the status and renew their status in two-year increments uh, was maintained, but new applicants were shut out of that program. And there would be people coming up, turning the age of 15, who were eligible um, through this program to seek some, some a work permit and, you know, get their, get their status at least sort of you know, recognized so that they have some sort of driver's license and the ability to function and, um, you know, go, go through society. And um, in this case, what this means is that as of today or as of yesterday, um, that decision to terminate the program has been vacated. Mm -hmm. And that means that people should be able to not only renew, but new applicants who would meet the qualifications for DACA should be able to apply. How exactly that will happen remains to be seen, like with the timing of it, because DHS has to reopen the program and begin accepting new applications. And so they will need a little time to get that cooking. You know, they'll need to have the right mailbox. They'll need to have people online to process mm -hmm. that. Um, so we'll kind of kind of wait and see a little bit. But it also means that people who currently have DACA may be eligible for things like advanced parole. So if they have a, you know, a relative who's outside the country who's sick, they maybe not now because of the pandemic, obviously, but mm -hmm. you have somebody outside the country who's sick or you have an educational opportunity abroad that you want to go um, and invest in in order to, to come back and, and do your job, those sorts of things should be possible again, because since this program was terminated, advanced parole has also been terminated. People weren't eligible to do that. And again, Sarah, let's go over the the criteria for those who are eligible for DACA. Yes, yes, let's do that. It's, it's been a minute since I've thought about it in terms of a new applicant, but the way that DACA works, uh, the program was announced by President Obama on June 15th of 2012. And in order to qualify, you had to have been in the United States for the last five years. So, you know, back date to uh, June 15th of 2007, you had mm -hmm. to have entered before that date. And then you had to also have um, come in before you turned 16 years old. So being brought here as a, as a child, um, as a minor. 
and um, you had to be, you know, have, either have a high school diploma or a graduate equivalent degree, or you had to have a, um, uh, you know, be in the process of obtaining those things. So you had to be in school. And if you did, and you had you know, various other requirements relating to your good moral character, no, you know, couldn't have a serious criminal record or anything like that, obviously, then you could get this work permit that's valid for two-year increments. And that's basically all it is. It's a defer any action by the government against you, essentially saying, we're not going to seek to deport you right now. Um, and at the time, it was a, a really, really wonderful program because this, you know, this fight to get Congress to act on immigration reform has been going on longer than I've been practicing law, um, basically since the last reform that we had back in 1996. And uh, well, since all the flaws that were inherent in that program have become exposed. And what we what we're dealing with now is you have people who um, who you know, meet these qualifications, they're able to have this and it protects them from being caught up in the middle mm -hmm. because it, it kind of lets, it kind of lets you sort of separate people out and say, okay, this, this group of people that meet these qualifications, we don't want to spend our limited government resources on trying to uh, deport them, to put them through the legal process of that. Let's kind of put them to the side. Hopefully Congress will figure it out. And then eventually those people can seek some benefit when we figure out how to, how to deal with it. And finally, Sarah, since this decision and it's been just about 24 hours have you all seen an increase in folks calling and asking what does this mean what's next for me yeah the conversations with my colleagues are that a lot of people are checking in um uh, daca students and you know people who've been on daca for years they they tend to be a little more savvy uh about technology so there's a lot of communication going on and people are really empowered so they are seeking those answers from council um, and, and yes, that's absolutely what's happening. All right. Sarah Owens, owner and attorney at Owens McNorlin Immigration Law Firm, breaking this decision down for us. Thank you so much for taking the time. I really appreciate it, Sarah. Absolutely. It's so good to talk to you, Rose. Take care. Now to some other news. A monument to the Confederacy that has stood for more than a century on the courthouse square in Decatur was moved to storage last night. A state law in Georgia prohibits the removal of Confederate monuments. Still, a DeKalb County judge last week declared it a nuisance and ordered the monument removed. Crews took apart the 30-foot pillar late last night in front of a crowd of cheering onlookers. WABE reporter Emil Moffitt was there. He spoke to DeKalb County Commissioner Merdia Davis-Johnson, who noted that the monument came down on the eve of Juneteenth. This is a proud night, and this is one that I will always remember, that I will share with my grandchildren, and uh, just proud. And speaking of Juneteenth, well, today is Juneteenth. It commemorates the end of slavery. Now, here's a quick history lesson. On this day, yeah, 155 years ago, on June 19, 1865, a Union Army Major General Gordon Granger traveled to Galveston, Texas, and he announced the abolishment of slavery, which was news because this was two and a half years later after the Emancipation Proclamation. So history tells us about 250,000 slaves had no idea slavery had ended. So currently, 46 states, including Georgia, recognize Juneteenth as an official holiday or observance. There are also efforts to make the day a federal holiday. In-person and virtual celebrations are taking place today and this weekend across the country and right here in Atlanta. Now, one race, March on Atlanta, is happening right now at Centennial Park. It's scheduled to last till about 4 p.m. The Cobb County NAACP is hosting a Juneteenth Justice Rally and Memorial that starts at 4 p.m. today. 
A sit-in is scheduled at Piedmont Park near Park Tavern from 5 to 5.30. The event will include a moment of silence and remembrance and celebration of the civil rights movement. And finally, black museums from across the country are hosting a virtual presentation about this time, so you can log on. The event will feature appearances by guests such as Lonnie G. Bunch III. He's the first African-American and first historian to serve as the secretary of the Smithsonian Institution. And the Honorable Carla Hayden, Librarian of Congress, the first woman and the first African-American to lead the National Library. Now, WABE.org will carry a live stream of this event. This is Closer Look. Support for WABE comes from the Community Foundation for Greater Atlanta. If you love Atlanta, you can invest in the big picture. Learn more at cfgreateratlanta.org. You love free, and at Ameris Bank, so do we. That's why we're proud to offer worry-free, hassle-free Ameris Bank free checking. Manage your money your way with convenient access to digital, mobile, and telephone banking, all with no monthly service fee or minimum balance requirements. At Ameris Bank, we're with you. For more information or to open an account, visit our local bankers in person or online at amerisbank.com slash free checking. Other fees such as overdraft fees may apply. Ameris Bank, member FDIC, equal housing lender. Closer Look continues now here on 90.1 WABE, Atlanta's choice for NPR. I'm Rose Scott, and we will continue our conversations with reaction to the Supreme Court's 5-4 decision regarding the Deferred Action for Childhood Arrivals Program, or DACA. For now, the Trump administration cannot shutter the program, which was announced eight years ago during the Obama administration. It makes no sense to expel talented young people who, for all intents and purposes, are Americans. They've been raised as Americans, understand themselves to be part of this country. To expel these young people who want to staff our labs or start new businesses or defend our country simply because of the actions of their parents or because of the inaction of politicians. Well, that was then. In 2017, under President Donald Trump, then-Attorney General Jeff Sessions made this announcement. To have a lawful system of immigration that serves the national interest, we cannot ha admit everyone who would like to come here. It's just that simple. The nation must set and enforce a limit on how many immigrants we admit each year, and that means all cannot be accepted. This does not mean they are bad people or that our nation disrespects or demeans them in any way. The DACA program protects more than 650,000 DREAMers, as they're called, brought to the U.S. as children from deportation. Chief Justice John Roberts was a swing vote in the 5-4 decision, and he wrote, quote, We do not decide whether DACA or its rescissions are sound policies. The wisdom of those decisions is none of our concern. We address only whether the agency complied with the procedural requirement that it provide a reasoned explanation for its action, close quote. Now, the decision doesn't totally close the door for the Trump administration as the high court sees it. Maybe they'll try again and next time have a more detailed justification for the program's demise. As we continue with reaction to the decision, joining me now from the state capitol is State Representative Brenda Lopez Romero. Representative Romero, thanks for taking the time. I really appreciate it. Thank you so much, as always, for having me. 
Let's go back eight years ago when the DACA program was created. You were working as an immigration attorney, correct? Yes, recently back in Georgia and starting my own practice at that time. And having spent many years in going to the Capitol precisely to advocate for comprehensive immigration reform and then afterwards specifically for DACA. So what was your hope then, what this would mean for thousands of young folks? The expectation was what has happened over these last eight years, which is it would allow for some sort of temporary reprieve from fear of deportation so that they can continue to further their lives, particularly many of the young folks that I advocate with and that they lead in this in this push in this movement for comprehensive immigration reform, vast majority of them simply wanted to go to college or wanted to finish college um, and wanted to go on to offer their skills, their talent, their energy uh, to to their, their state, right? Whether that be the individuals that I know here in Georgia and just ultimately to their country. Many of the young individuals that, that advocate and push are also not simply looking at college aspirations and how they can give back through their service and their profession, but many of them um, wanna go to um, military and want to serve our country. And this, is, this was the hope that with DACA that those aspirations um, could come to fruition. Albeit you are pleased with the decision, but were you surprised by the decision given the makeup of the court? Well, I'm not surprised in the sense that we knew it would have it was going to be very likely a 5-4 vote in one way or the other. Mm -hmm. Definitely pleased that it went to the side of of allowing us to continue to push for a, a more permanent solution. And it gives me some hope that when we are at least dealing with the legal technicalities of the problems that this administration has caused, that we still have a Supreme Court that will be receptive to those um, those arguments. Now, there's speculation that Trump administration may not seek to offer anything else up right now. Obviously, it's a presidential election year, but you never know. What are your thoughts on that? Do you think there could be an attempt under President Donald Trump to come back and, and try again? Well, that also would not surprise me. I, I also think that maybe not in this immediate year. Um, and the fact is that there's a process that needs to be followed. And that's really the crux of this issue that we need to really focus on. The, the bar is very low for the administration to provide basically um, an explanation that is not arbitrary or capricious. Basically, you just can't on your whim want to do something. And that bar is very low for all government entities, whether it be state entities or, of course, our federal government and our uh, current administration. And the fact that he couldn't even meet that standard um, really is an indication that this um, decision to rescind DACA really goes back to this administration's attack on immigrant families. Chief Justice Roberts, did you read the opinion? Yes, <laughs> this is this is the fun that I, I enjoy doing. I am very um, happy with um, with the decision and, again, in how it related to the fact that just procedurally, the basic requirements that are that should be made by the administration to rescind this program simply weren't met. Whenever we use the word reform, in this case, when we talk about immigration reform, you're likely to get a lot of opinions and suggestions. But through your lens, Representative, why hasn't this nation been able to develop what everyone says they want, a comprehensive immigration reform policy and, and plan? 
Well, I appreciate that uh, question because one of the things that I tell folks when I talk about comprehensive immigration reform, I really am referring to something specific. I am referring to the bill that was introduced um, in 2012 to that vote in 2013 that passed on the U.S. House side uh, with bipartisan um, votes and failed on the Senate side by six votes. And so we've already had a plan that both advocates, legislators, and many people have put input um, and so that is, for me, when we talk about comprehensive immigration reform, what we should refocus. Many of the individuals, actually most of the individuals that were in Congress at that time are still there. And I think that we need to continue to push for that specific comprehensive immigration reform bill. As to why we can't, um, after all these years, um, decades really, haven't been able to, to pass this bill, I think is, is again, um, this inertia that simply a certain group of um, and I'm going to say Americans, um, not in the legal sense of U.S. citizenship, but in the cultural aspect of being Americans, um, simply um, don't aren't valued to the extent that sh they should be, including the tax dollars that they pay. And of course, like we've already mentioned, the service they provide both with their professional aspirations and their aspirations to serve in our military. The voice you hear is Democratic State Representative Brenda Lopez Romero. She joins me now from the state capitol. Let's Bring this back to Georgia for a moment. The General Assembly returned this week. First of all, how's it been with all the social distancing guidelines? Well, it has been most definitely one of most the most different sessions I've ever experienced, even before I got elected and I used to come to the Capitol as, as, a, as a private citizen advocating. It's, it's quite different. Um, it's caused the process to be a lot longer, even mm -hmm. to, to do something simple as a roll call. Um, but... Um, you know, we're here because it's important to do. Unfortunately, you know, um, at the risk of, of exposure being around many people that unfortunately not everybody has the same amount of care and precaution to to follow guidelines as strictly as possible. Are some lawmakers not wearing masks? Well, um, I have seen some. Um, the Senate side, of course, did not um, make it ma mandatory, um, but not only just in terms of the legislators. Um, unfortunately, I've been very disappointed that I've seen very few, only a handful of even our state patrol that is around our Capitol wearing masks. And so, um, of course, we're all jointly um, around each other here. And um, and so it's, you know, it's those issues that continue to happen that I think is providing greater exposure than needs to be while we're here doing the people's business. Well, prior to everything shutting down due to COVID-19, you were among lawmakers trying to get a bill, at least into a committee, regarding in-state tuition for DACA students. Of course, not much will be passed in this short time that you all are down there. But with this latest decision, what is your hope that you all will be able to introduce some measures in the future as it relates to either in-state tuition for DACA students or something else? Well, I am definitely encouraged with this legislative session that there was actually three separate in-state tuition or tuition equity bills to allow for DACA and DREAMers to be able to pay in-state tuition. And most definitely, we will be here um, next legislative session to continue to push for those bills, refile them, and, um, and make sure that we keep pushing, because that is something that I've seen over the last really five years movement on potentially having that in-state tuition. And, uh, you know, one of the, you know, very personal to me, one of my first legislative aides, my first session here um, is a DACA recipient. And um, she came in, she paid out of state tuition at Armstrong, worked a multiple job, did incredible work here in the legislature, legislature and um, out of the Savannah area. And um, I'm happy to report that 
and now she's um, actually going to start law school this fall. And so, you know, the, you know, it's real people that we're talking about, real Georgians that have grown up all of their lives. And so um, we're most definitely going to keep working on the in-state tuition bill um, here in the Capitol, but also through our Board of Regents. And before I let you go, Representative, I also want to get your thoughts on the likelihood that the hate bill legislation, that you all will be able to reach some agreement on that. I know that Lieutenant Governor Jeff Duncan has introduced something on his own. Yes. So I urge people to continue to call the Senate Judiciary to pass um, the, the, the bill that had already passed with bipartisan votes here in uh, representative side, in mm-hmm. the House side. That's HB 426. I have concerns with that bill as well, but I most definitely have far more concerns with the bill that was introduced by the lieutenant governor, um, including particularly um, and, and most importantly, I would say um, an issue with adding protect um, types of protected classes that have not been recognized as protected classes, such mm-hmm. as culture. And so for that reason, I think at this point, we still have time to pass HB 4, uh, 426. We still need people to advocate and call in to ensure that the Senate Judiciary passes that bill um, without any further amendments so it can go to the governor's desk to be signed. State Representative Brenda Lopez Romero from the state capitol. Thank you so much for taking the time. I really appreciate it. It's always a pleasure to um, speak with you and with everyone that's listening. Closer Look continues now here on 90.1 WABE. This is Atlanta's Choice for NPR. As always, I'm Rose Scott. About two years ago on this program, right here in Studio 4, I had a follow-up conversation with four young adults. Take a listen. So I came to the United States when I was only four years old. Um, my parents are originally from Pakistan, but I was born in Saudi Arabia. And my mom always dreamed of having better educational opportunities for us, better than what she had in growing up in Pakistan. And so that's how we initially came here. Um, and we settled here in Georgia, and I've been calling Georgia my home since. Marisol? I came to the U.S. when I was five years old. Uh, my mom and I, we escaped a violent situation that we had in Mexico. So I came here at the age of five, and I've been living in the U.S. ever since. Raymond. I came to the United States at the age of one from the Philippines. My dad actually gave up his dreams of going to medical school because at the time it was a lot easier to immigrate to the United States as a physical therapist. And so we came on a skilled worker visa and settled in Macon about two hours south of Atlanta, uh, right after we came into the United States. And Georgia's been my home ever since. Alondra? I came to the United States when I was two years old. Um, Basically, my parents brought brought me over here just because they wanted me to have a better life than what they had. Mm -hmm. And like everyone else, I've been calling Georgia my home for the past years. From where did you? From Mexico. From Mexico. That was Alondra, Simba, Marisol, and Raymond. That was back then. Well, now it's 2020. And as we continue our conversations regarding the decision from the United States Supreme Court regarding DACA students, I'm going to welcome back Raymond and Marisol. Welcome. Good to see y'all via Zoom. (laughs) Thank you for having us. Raymond, I understand you all have been doing a lot of interviews of late, huh? It's been a very busy time for sure. Yeah. Let's talk about how you all, what you all were doing when you heard about the decision yesterday. So we were uh, driving, trying to get away from our normal daily routine, just uh, some days outside of work. And we knew that um, that morning there was going to be 
um, opinions that would be released, but we weren't sure what opinions they would be. So around 9.55, I uh, went onto the SCOTUS blog and just click refresh every, every other minute um, just to see what opinions came out. And the first and only opinion that came out was the DACA decision. Uh, as soon as that opinion was released, I started reading it out loud to Raymond because he was driving. So as I read it out loud, I didn't really understand at first mm -hmm. uh, exactly what it meant. Um, so I had to read it three times in order for me to understand exactly what it meant. And I asked Raymond, like, did we win? Is this, is this real? Because that's not what we were expecting. You know, we prepared for the worst. Mm -hmm. uh, so we were, my palms were sweaty and I definitely was in disbelief. I want to stay with you for a second, Marisol. You just said you were preparing for the worst. So in preparing for the worst, what did that mean for you and Raymond? So there were three different scenarios that um, we were preparing for. The worst was that the Supreme Court would rule that President Trump could end the DACA program the way that he did um, and that it didn't violate the APA. Mm -hmm. and that DACA would just end mm -hmm. and our protection, we would lose our protection right away. So that was my fear. That was the worst that I had prepared for. Um, but thankfully, that wasn't the case. Raymond, for you, in terms of preparing for the worst, what was going through your mind? I definitely share Marisol's sentiment in that the decision was an absolute surprise. It's not what we were expecting at all. And in the months leading up to the decision, the Supreme Court has uh, delineated a couple of different decision days a week, usually one or two. And every single decision day for the last several months, we've been on our toes waiting for the Supreme Court to issue a ruling on the DACA case. Mm -hmm. And so these last several months, uh, we've just kind of every single decision day of the Supreme Court we've been asking ourselves, you know, is this the day that our DACA protections uh, get taken away from us? You know, we have been following you all's journey for some time now. I think this is your third appearance on the program here on Closer Look. Uh, Raymond, catch our listeners up to what you've been doing. Sure. So for the last almost three years, I've been working as an immigration paralegal at, um, at an immigration law firm in Sandy Springs, and I focus mainly on uh, family-based uh, immigration cases and uh, removal defense matters. So I spend a lot of my time helping defend people who are being targeted by the U.S. government for removal or deportation mm -hmm. from the United States. Um, over the last several months, I've, I've had a couple of asylum wins. So folks who uh, flee persecution in their home countries uh, and seek refuge here in the United States um, I work on a number of those cases, and I've, I've been very blessed and fortunate to share some wins with some of my clients over the last several months. Let me stay with you for a moment. With your clients, do you often share your own personal journey here to the United States? I do. I, I think a big part of our work as uh, practitioners, um, as uh, people who assist others in navigating our very complicated immigration process, is um, is just displaying empathy. It's important for our clients to see that we understand what they're going through. 
um, and we hear where they're coming from when they come to us with their immigration issues. And so I oftentimes tell my clients about my own immigration status mm -hmm. and my own struggles that I've had to undergo as an undocumented person in this country. And I, and I feel like that helps me connect with my clients um, on a more personal level, which helps facilitate that relationship. And Mirasol, what have you been doing this last, since the last time we caught up with you? So I've continued to work at an immigration law firm as well. Um, I am the legal assistant to the managing partner at the firm. And so I do a lot of administrative tasks, but I also uh, communicate a lot with uh, a lot of our current clients and also potential clients and sort of help guide them through the complicated immigration system and how the whole process works. Um, I've been doing that as well as uh, just staying as civically engaged as possible, because even though as DACA recipients, we don't have the right to vote, mm -hmm. uh, we can volunteer for different campaigns and we can show up at the state capitol um, and talk to our, uh, our lawmakers and, you know, lobby for the interests of our immigrant community. So one of the things I've done that I think is significant is uh, Mujeres Day at the Capitol. So creating a day that's inclusive to uh, Latina women to show up at the Capitol and learn how to lobby and talk to their lawmakers. And you also share your story with the folks that you all are helping at the law firm. Sometimes I do. Mm -hmm. um, you know, if, if they start saying, this is really hard, I don't really understand, then I'll relate to them and say, well, I, I do understand, you know, I'm a DACA recipient. And when some folks are scared to renew their DACA, um, you know, I share with them that I've been renewing mm -hmm. as early as possible and I've had no issues. So it's, it's a good thing. There is speculation that the Trump administration may not seek to try again, although according to the high court, they need to present a more detailed explanation of the reason for wanting to to uh, stop the program. Uh, are you optimistic that that won't happen, given that this is an election year? Uh, Raymond, I'll let you take go first. You know, I, I'm I'm in several groups with um, with other DACA recipients. And just a couple of minutes ago, someone shared a, a Facebook post that Donald Trump shared um, not too long ago where he said that uh, his administration will be submitting enhanced papers shortly in order to properly fulfill the Supreme Court's ruling and request of yesterday. Mm -hmm. So in Chief Justice John Roberts' opinion um, yesterday, which was issued by the Supreme Court, they essentially said that the Trump administration can end mm -hmm. the DACA program, mm -hmm. but what was incorrect is the way that they ended the program insofar as they violated the Administrative Procedures Act. Essentially, they acted illegally in the manner in which they ended the mm -hmm. DACA program. And so I, I've been telling people over the last day or so that um, I personally don't think the Trump administration will We'll try again, um, especially with Election Day right around the corner and with the fact that the overwhelming majority of, of the American people support uh, people like Marisol and I, uh, DACA recipients who seek to be active contributors to American society. But, you know, it's it's an election year. And I think, Rose, a, a lot can happen, um, mm -hmm. and especially uh, to satisfy uh, President Trump's base. President Trump, from the very beginning, has been 
um, set out to to satisfy his base in, in uh, basically making life a living hell for immigrants like us, and generally speaking, people of color in this country. Marisol, what about you? What do you think? Um, yeah, he is going to try and end it. That's that's not a doubt. I mean, he tweeted that he's going to make sure Dems can't make DACA recipient citizens. And that's just, I mean, it's it's not even a possibility right now. And it's, it's very frustrating because it doesn't matter, I, I think, what party you're affiliated with. I think what matters is that you're fighting for the right thing. And the way to go about ending this program, you know, the Trump administration didn't do it the right way. And like Raymond said, it's not going to end the right way between now and November. I've asked this question and I'll ask this question a, a lot on, on today's program, but when it comes to coming up with a comprehensive immigration reform plan or policy for this nation, why do you think it, it hasn't happened in a sense? Why do you think there is so much discourse about how to do it and then there's no execution in getting it done? Raymond? Right. So I think that there's been a lot of hesitation, um, even among progressives in Congress, to uh, undertake any kind of bold progressive action to protect undocumented people in this country. I think it's important for folks to understand that the undocumented population in this country comprises about 11 million people. And when we talk about DACA recipients, uh, we're only talking about 700,000 or so. And as Marisol mentioned earlier, I, I think that it, it doesn't matter um, which political party we're talking about. Um, I think both parties are equally guilty of hunting the issue of immigration off to the side and not prioritizing it. Um, and it, today, the, the kind of bold immigration reform that we as undocumented people need to see is, um, is a proposal that would provide a pathway to citizenship for the millions of undocumented people who are already here in this country, uh, not only ourselves, but our parents, our brothers and sisters, um, Marisol and I often call our parents the original dreamers mm -hmm. uh, because they are the ones that were bold and brave in their pursuit of bringing us here to the United States uh, in order to seek a better future. But in addition to that, Rosa, I think that when, when, we, um, when we make immigration possible for these people who are already here in the United States, I think that we need to be honest about how we approach immigration enforcement, especially today in, in the middle of this racial crisis, in the middle of this coronavirus pandemic, we need to be serious as a country about how we treat black people, how we treat people of color. And um, in local communities, we see immigration agents cooperating with, um, with local law enforcement agencies like the Gwinnett County Police Department where 287G agreements are in place and, um, and people of color being disproportionately uh, targeted by law enforcement agencies, and they disproportionately end up in removal proceedings. So these, these are, there are lots of considerations we have to uh, take into account when we talk about uh, comprehensive immigration reform. And Marisol, I'll give you a last word on that. 
Why do you think this nation has not been able to come up with a comprehensive immigration reform plan? Yeah, I would echo everything Raymond just said, as well as add to that the fact that we've met with uh, policymakers in the past on Capitol Hill and their um, legis their aides, um, who have told us to our face that we are bargaining chips. And so the fact that they feel comfortable saying that to our face just makes it even more clear that they keep using us as a way to get different policies exchanged and yeah raymond mirsal thank you both for taking the time i really appreciate it thank you for letting us catch up with you all again yeah you all are on vacation so i really appreciate you taking the time <laughs> of course thank you so much rose we're also an hour behind you <laughs> oh really oh i won't tell the people what time of day we actually recorded this segment but that's okay thank you so okay, much rose we'll talk to you later And as we conclude today's edition of Closer Look, which is produced by Grace Walker and LaShawn Hudson, our engineer is Shelly Canavy. And also today, Google is commemorating Juneteenth with a video doodle on the homepage of Google.com. It was designed by guest artist Levis Wise, and the video is set to the first verse of the poem, Lift Every Voice and Sing, by James Weldon Johnson. And it's read by actor LeVar Burton, and the music was produced by Elijah Jamal. Happy Juneteenth. This is Closer Look. Lift every voice and sing till earth and heaven ring. Ring with the harmonies of liberty. Let our rejoicing rise high as the listening skies. Let it resound loud as the rolling sea. Sing a song full of the faith that the dark past has taught us. Sing a song full of the hope that the present has brought us. Facing the rising sun of our new day begun. Let us march on till victory is one. Let us march on till victory is won. Hey y'all, I'm Mark Kendall. And I'm David Perdue. And we're the hosts of What's Good Atlanta, the new weekly comedy podcast from WABE. On What's Good Atlanta, we run down uplifting and unusual headlines from the universe known as Atlanta. And while we may not be journalists, we are comedians, and we'll be breaking down news and breaking down the stories that make you smile. We're just trying to see what's good, Atlanta. Episodes drop Fridays at WABE.org or wherever you get your podcasts. I get mine from a guy named Craig. Shout out to Craig. Mm -hmm. WABE. From WABE Studios, the podcast where they read stories is a new children's storytelling podcast featuring notable Atlantans and performers reading classic and contemporary children's books. Each episode contains a story meant to entertain, inspire, and inform young listeners. No screens required. The podcast where they read stories features adaptations from both chapter books and picture books. Join us at WABE.org slash stories podcast or wherever you listen to podcasts. WABE.